Welcome to episode 9 of Yubcast. My name is Jamie, and I feel like I could take on the whole empire myself. And my name is Matt. How does this work? Do you talk first? Do I talk first? <laughs> Good. I haven't done a Force Awakens one yet. Well, I'm, I'm just stuck in Empire, pretty much. Yeah. I watched Empire the other day, and I couldn't help but notice all the good one-liners that we could use in the drop, in the initial drop there. So I was a little worried about this bit that we would run out. I don't think it's true, because we haven't even pulled in anything from the cartoons yet. Yeah. I actually uh, I just finished listening to the NPR uh, Empire Strikes Back again, and I had I had listened to the the uh, original Star Wars one before that, and it's not nearly as good as I remember, but it's still pretty great. I mean, used to the good production value with the the books, but I found it just a little cheesy because, and maybe this is just how kind of those radio serials were done back then. But is that I know how like every scene in the movies play out, but how they kind of took the script and changed it to describe what they're doing, it's it's kind of funny. Like listening to Darth Vader talk about how he uses the Force to choke people, and like uh, on my way to work, I was listening to the uh, the part where they go to Cloud City and they they get uh, betrayed by Lando, and <laughs> the guy who plays Darth Vader is just is this very like villain. Has got this very radio villain kind of uh, voice. Uh, See how I use the Force and grab your blaster from you. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's like here, stand next to me. Just stuff like that. It's it's great. I really did enjoy it. Uh, I was wrong before. I thought more of the original cast had done these, but uh, as far as I know, other than maybe bit people or bit actors, Mark Hamill and Anthony Daniels were in the first one, and Mark Hamill, Anthony Daniels, and Billy D. Williams were in Empire. I've yet to listen to the Jedi one, but it's it, it's on my it's on my list. I I might give myself an early Christmas present and uh, get it from Audible. So they're on Audible. Mm-hmm. You should shoot me a link because I want to check them out. Uh, I haven't heard those in years. Interestingly, Anthony Daniels had a had a section of his contract that said that if C three PO was ever portrayed, that he basically had first right of refusal to turn down the part, and he never turned it down. <laughs> He's the no. voice of C-3PO in like the C-3PO operation game that my kid plays where they're taking like bad motivators, bad motivators out of R2. No kidding. An operation style tweezer and it's Anthony Daniels doing the voiceover. Oh cool, good for him. That mime finally found a part. <laughs> he got to play it. And is he, it's, is it's he a mime? He is a mime. Before he was in Star Wars, he was a mime. Jeez, that's something you would think that I would know, but no, now I do, so... If it ever comes up in some sort of trivia. Yeah, did I ever tell you that um, a long time ago when I first got married, we were playing, oh, what's the name of that, the the, the DVD movie game? It's, it's a DVD and... I know exactly what game you're talking seen about. It. Seen it. Seen yeah. it. And well, one of the questions was about who's Carrie Fisher's mother. I didn't know it, but my wife did. I didn't know that her mother was Debbie Reynolds. And to this day, she still holds that over my head. Like, it's, uh, like she bested me in Star Wars. She bested you in Singing in the Rain. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. <laughs> it's difficult to understand 
the interconnectivity of the quote-unquote Hollywood families, although Carrie Fisher is best known for a role where she has a famous parent. So famous parents, I guess. Yeah. So it's a little bit of type there, typecasting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I don't think my wife has ever bested me in a Star Wars trivia thing, but I don't wouldn't put it past her to hold that over my head if she did. I could bring her right now and ask about it, and she would, uh, well, I'm not going to because it wouldn't be pleasant. <laughs> Sure. So uh, I finished those first uh, two uh, NPR broadcasts. I know you recently finished up the Legend of Luke Skywalker book. Yes. I, I finished it about a week and a half ago. So what's your thoughts? It's an interesting book. Um, it's basically six short stories about Luke Skywalker with a thin wraparound plot about these people who are trying to get to Canto Bite on a freighter. I guess, is the high-level summary of the book. Yeah. And like most collections of short stories, there were ones that I liked better than others and ones that I thought were pretty horrible, I guess. Overall, I liked it, though. Probably the last one that I finished listening to maybe three hours ago was my favorite short story, which was the one that takes place inside a giant space slug. Um, That was probably my favorite, followed by the R2-D2 story. Do you want to talk about each different story or or just want to give your impressions of the book yeah i guess i get the impression that you liked it more than me i did not oh you did not like it okay no it kind of took a nosedive for me so the first story was basically a death star truther right i think we talked about it briefly yeah it's it was funny kind of it had, it had some moments, but it was just kind of like, uh, brother, there's enough of that in the real world. I don't, uh, I really don't want to, you know, deal with that. What was the second story? Was the second story the, the droid one? Or was that the one where he went to the the water world? The water world one was before the droid one. Okay. The, the water world one was, was cool because I, I like the idea of him kind of going on a quest to kind of self-study the Jedi way since all that information was lost that he just was going to learn about the force the old-fashioned way well let's let's billboard it for a second because the the overall point of the story of the book if you delete the pointless wraparound plot is basically the story of luke post jedi going around learning about the force and there's basically this living legend status of luke jedi in the galaxy where he it there's this mythical creature that goes around um, helping people and that's sort of his reputation. And some people believe that he's a Jedi and some people don't. But the stories that are, that are being told are basically stories of him studying the Force on different worlds. Or basically, um, those are the ones that count. At least half of them are about him studying the Force, half of them are about crazy crap that happens to him, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Waterworld one is where he goes to a planet where there's this Force religion that studies the Tide. That's what they call the Force, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that it they was, call um, it on that one? Is it called the Tide? Yeah, it was the Tide. I, li- I, liked, the, I liked their take on it. The, the, t- the Tide ebbs and flows. Right. And he basically goes on through their initiation rite to earn the ability to learn about the tide from their priestess. She lets him undergo the test that people who can control the tide undergo in their society to earn the right to study it. Right, and she kind of gives him an extra hard test because, was it she said that they um, give that kind of test to students who are really good or really dangerous? That she want that she wants to fail. Their culture doesn't manipulate the force at all. 
they just have people who are sensitive to it and becoming sensitive to the force basically means in with their ethics that they have to train themselves to never interact with it and here comes luke skywalker who is force sensitive and has no ethical qualms about using the force and they think any use of the force is a corruption of it therefore blah 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 right and they didn't see any dark like dark side or light side they just saw the tide and so he gets to learn that from them mm-hmm. which is interesting and i i like that that story and the f- story about the flea i almost deleted it i was listening to it and at first i'm just like oh okay all right all right and then i saw where it was going and it kept going and i've written it off as like it's a flea circus it's not real. Yeah, so that's part of the problem with the book, is the story with the flea and the Death Star truther really gets at the crux of what I hate about this book. And it's that you can't... You're supposed to, at least I think you're supposed to, assume that the stories are true about Luke, but they're all being told secondhand, and there's no traceability to them, right? And so mm-hmm. this woman's telling a story about a mole flea called... The Grublius Moat, who is a circus performer, who told her a story about how she was riding Luke's hair when he cut up Jabba's sail barge with his lightsaber because she jumped off of this mite, what I call it, a flea. This flea jumped off of Salacious Crumb onto Leia, onto Luke during the destruction of Jabba's palace. And the flea takes credit for operating Luke, telling him what to do. And you have to realize that that story is obviously an embellishment because we know what happened. Right. So, it makes it really makes Luke look like kind of like a, a just kind of a dumbo. Yeah. <laughs> like she straight up says that he can't think for himself. He, he needed me to pilot him. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, okay, but so that story is not true. So is the story about him cutting open the force statue in the middle of a space slug true and describing the plot of that story makes it sound pretty stupid so maybe it shouldn't be true yeah i i choose to believe not to believe that one the space slug one no not the space slug one the the flea one because it's i think it's just supposed to be a play on flea circus yeah that it's not you know it's not real and this kid you know this kid got taken for a you know, whatever money or whatever he went to see this circus, he got pretty much told a lie. Yeah. But it was, it reminded me of a certain point of view and just ridiculousness of it where I was just wishing and wishing and wishing for it to be over. Yeah, I had I had some, from a certain point of view, flashbacks for sure with this one, or especially in the sillier one. So there are ones where I kept thinking, well... This obviously isn't true. This is obviously just some short story writer getting his rocks off. I think books like like The Legend of Luke Skywalker suffer from a problem that isn't going to be resolved soon. And the problem is, is that the story group has locked down a lot of what happens to these characters because they don't want to be committed to anything until they know what happens in episode 9. And they don't want mm-hmm. anyone to write something to be like, you're like, oh yeah, Luke has a cybernetic eye. Like, yeah. Right around this asshole. You know, I mean, that's. I think that's what's happening. And so all of these stories that they're writing have no consequence. They have no impact. They have no meaning because they're, they've tied themselves or sort of painted themselves in this corner of we have to do, we have to con- confine ourselves to these minor stories and let's write a book that may 100% be false. I get it, but it kind of stinks. 
Oh, it definitely stinks. But I mean, like, um, I've been playing Battlefront, and I'm not going to say too much about it. I'm, I don't know how far I am, but there's been a lot of references to books, comic books, movies, the um, cartoons, and it's all tying together. But I think it's just a very benign story that I don't think really has much of anything to do about anything. I, I think that it was just a, a way to show off the gameplay in a in a campaign mode so that they could still tell a decent story. This is just, even for young adult, this was kind of not great. I wasn't too thrilled. It's over. I'm probably never ever going to uh, listen to it again. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a repeat for me. I mean, I usually listen to them all two or three times, but I'd have to think about it hard. The last two have been a little disappointed. But we have yeah. we have three books coming out soon. We've got Canto Bite, Cobalt Squadron, and then The Last Jedi novelization coming out soon. So hopefully one of those will be good. I've learned so much about life, about being a good person. If not for you guys, I'd be back on the fall just waiting to be rescued like everyone else the trailer dropped last week uh, for the uh the last half of the final season of rebels and it's something to behold i'm super excited yeah so we're a little bit behind on reporting this because i was traveling for work and we didn't record last week but uh we felt like we had to get in here real quick and do our own little take and analyses and spotting of little easter eggs in the trailer and try to speculate on what's going to happen in these last few episodes i I sort of feel like they tossed lucasfilm was tossing us a bone um, because we still don't have a han solo trailer and we don't know when that's coming out but rebels is wrapping up and coming to an end in the next few weeks there's seven episodes left of rebels and they come back on february 19th 2018 where they play Jedi Knight and Doom, two episodes. And a week later, on February 26th, they play Wolves at the Door and World Between Worlds. And then on March 5th, they play the last three episodes, Fool's Hope, Family Reunion, and the appropriately named Farewell. Is that one Jedi and Doom? Is that uh, D-U-M-E as in Caleb Doom? Yes, D-U-M-E as in Caleb Doom. Oh, sweet. Sweet, sweet, sweet. And so we're going to get seven episodes in three weeks, and that's going to end out the series and i think i heard that the last episode is actually 90 minutes long um yeah, in, in tv airtime so that's probably about 60 minutes long total 60 mm-hmm. 70 minutes long total so by the first week of march we'll be completely done with rebels and this is the series finale so people are, who are going to die are going to die and people who are going to live are going to live the only person that we know for sure lives is Hera and chopper mm-hmm. because they were in that forces of destiny episode we discussed a few weeks back so let's talk about let's talk about the production of the trailer before we get into the specifics too much. Uh, I, I found the the trailer to be pretty interesting in that about half of the footage is from previous seasons, establishing sort of the motifs of the characters, specifically focusing on Ezra and uh, to a lesser extent Kanan. Mm-hmm. And so it's showing a lot of things from season one, two, and three, and even earlier season four. And Dave Filoni said that there isn't a single wasted episode in this series. There's no filler there's no fluff everything ties together and i like i like his optimism yeah it's easy for him to say that but some of them i'm hoping that some of them pay off in a big way because some of them really feel like filler i'm sorry dave yeah i think so i think so too i think it's optimism 
optimistic for him to say that, but this trailer is definitely um, espousing that philosophy for him, saying, like, showing us, like, here's that time when he calmed down all of those monsters, or the time he went to the temple and got his kyber crystal, or the time that they're on Mortis together. Not Mortis. Malachor. God damn it. Wow, it's the second time I've done that today. Yeah, so they're all in Malachor together, and they're in the reappearing motif of the owl. Like, these things are old shots from old episodes, stuff we've already mm-hmm. seen. And so the first several, the first maybe minute is all stuff we've seen before, right? Right. Before before we get into the the new stuff, I just want to talk about like how I wonder if like what Kanan is talking about has um because as Kanan and Ezra talking like over these scenes of the previous seasons and they're showing specific scenes and I'm wondering if what they're saying lines up with the the scenes. Well, so what they're saying is that Ezra's. Ezra would have never been like anybody else. Has never been like everybody else. Ezra is basically saying, like, without you guys, I would have been just hiding like everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you've never been like everybody else. And so I think that it's probably less specific than you're probably referring to it. Well, just the different scenes, like, like what's the significance of sh- while he's talking, like, like talking about like helping his, when he's talking to Yoda, saying, like, helping his friends... And I think that's right when they flash to the holocron of Ahsoka showing him Anakin. Yes. So I do think I do think that there there's likely meaning in in the choice of scene order and him saying like what if am I not supposed to defend my friends and then looking at Anakin training and says how a Jedi decides to fight is what matters. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they're saying in that case that Anakin chose wrong. That is Anakin a good example or a bad example? Yeah. Because I still don't quite know what they're doing with Ezra. There's a lot of dark side imagery in this trailer with Ezra. Okay, so onto the new stuff. It starts off with them rescuing Hera. It shows Kanan. Well, at first it shows like the Return of the Clones shows Iron Squadron and is saying, let's go get Hera. And Kanan, you see Kanan cutting off his braid. Yeah, his top, his top bun, right? Mm-hmm. And so you and I discussed this offline a little bit. The entire series is supposedly modeled after Akira Kurosawa samurai movies. And the cutting of the top bun in samurai is emblematic of um, a lowering of social status, almost giving up on the stru- strictures of that life. Mm-hmm. So him cutting off his bun might be symbolic of Kanan giving up on the Jedi way of life, similar to in the comic book when he cuts off his Padawan braid and becomes the thief, the artful dodger, right? Mm-hmm. right. Uh, the same imagery again. He cuts off the braid, he cuts off his top bun. Uh, not that all Jedi have top bun, but he definitely does. And so cutting of his hair might be symbolic of that. I think that's a very that's a very good observation that it's meant it's meant to show a, a transition. StarWars.com did a poll on Facebook saying, "Do you like his old hair?" Or they called it the Caleb Doom, which is his new hair, which is pretty much he looks like he's in the Marines. Yeah, he's got a he's got a. I wouldn't say call it exactly a high and tight, but pretty close, and he's got no facial hair. The next scene shows him messing up some stormtroopers, like he's gone commando. Mm-hmm. He's Rambo first blooding this this way out, you know? Right. And we see Hera in her jumpsuit with her serial number across her chest. She knows Kanan's coming for her, and it's like the it's like the action film buddy scene. The comedian's been captured, and the action hero is going to come for the comedian. The comedian just needling the captors and saying, like, yeah. oh, you're gonna, you made a big mistake. Yeah. 
right? And then you see the stormtrooper falling through a hole cut in the floor by a lightsaber and the other one getting thrown out of a window by the force. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's uh, pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. And Hera says that she, she hates his hair. And Ezra... Ezra is in kind of, I don't know what you would call this, Eric, kind of like this open space-time, like some sort of like hallucination or a force vision. He's in a world between worlds, right? He's between the real world and the force world, I guess. And this is um, mirroring a lot of the imagery we see in the episode where he gets his original kyber crystal and they go to the temple on Lothal. He goes into the room and the room sort of fades to a permanent black and there's sort of white trim in the room with ancient writing on it in some language that I'm not sure I know the name of that language, but some ancient Jedi language. And he interacts with um, the Inquisitor and Yoda and gets his kyber crystal. It's very similar look to that, but it's much more expansive and bigger and just more elaborate. And while he's wandering around in there, um, he, he finds the owl, the owl, right? Yeah. And he says, I've seen you before. And the owl is colored like the daughter from the Mortis arc of Clone Wars. So the owl is, might represent the daughter at this point. We don't stay in that world for very long, though, in this particular clip. We immediately go back to a battle, like a battle in between the occupying forces of Lothal, the clones, the wolves, and the Mandalorians. Yeah, it shows uh, Sabine flying around, kicking, kicking some serious ass. Like she's uh, she's very good with uh, the jetpack, just, just pretty much like flying through gunships, destroying everything she sees. And then it cuts to Thrawn, and Thrawn orders bombardment of the city, the city that Ezra is from, the big city on um, Lothal. And then we see the bom- bombardment start from the star destroyer. It's flying pretty low, but we can see mm-hmm. we can see people running in the streets, blasts coming from the star destroyer, and destroying parts of the city. Yeah, and then it, it cuts to what's his name, Rack. Rook. Rook. Or he's um he's fighting Zeb, then it flashes to a lot of the, the heroes fighting stormtroopers. You've got Callus, Hera, Sabine, Rex in stormtrooper u- uniform, Zeb and Chopper, and you see Ketsuo or um I think that's the friend's name, and then Hondo. Hondo's in that shot? Yeah. Oh, cool. He he's just yeah, he's kinda like running away, but he's he's in it. Good catch. I did not see that. Such a great character. I mean, I thought he was all right in Clone Wars, but I I've, I kind of like he's definitely a pirate and a scoundrel and not a good guy, but he's good bad guy. We get the Clone Wars in a year, approximately, um, and we start and we work our way towards Hondo. We're going to have a pirate off between Kaibo Ren and Hondo. We're going to figure out who the better pirate is. Reserve your judgment. Well, who's a better pirate or who's just a better character? Well, we can do both. We've got time. We have hundreds of hours of recording we have to finish. We have to think of things to fill it with. Yes. So after this incredibly exciting blaster fight, uh, we get probably the most exciting reveal to me in the entire series palpatine shows up right now is he a vision because it right right before it shows palpatine you see ezra in kind of that world in between worlds and then there's the blue flame and palpatine kind of shows up i don't yeah so we don't know it could be it's it felt very reminiscent of the time when yoda went to um Korriban or Mordaban, whatever they call it in the clone wars no uh Mordaban. Korriban was the original eu name so Yoda goes to Mortaban and at the end of the Clone Wars, and Count Dooku and Palpatine sends him there, and so they they decide they're going to try to assassinate him while he's surrounded by all the dark side energy, and they make this cauldron 
and Palpatine and Dooku shoot their Force lightning into the cauldron and project themselves through the Force onto the planet to attack Yoda. A lot of the imagery in this trailer is very similar to that imagery in that episode of what they're doing. And so if he's in the world between worlds, um, Palpatine can meet him there. Or it could be like him confronting the Inquisitor in that world when he wasn't actually confronting the Inquisitor. He was just confronting a temptation or a fear. Right. The Emperor says actually says his name. Yes. And I don't know if they piece together, you know, pieced it together, or he says, he actually says, but Ezra Bridger, mine at last. Ezra Bridger, mine at last. So I'm, I'm incredibly excited about what the Emperor has to do with Ezra and what's going to happen here. We leave the Emperor's scene and we're back outside with a gigantic wolf, much bigger than we've ever seen. So the wolves all have yellow eyes. That's sort of okay. their, their design. They're sort of white wolves with scaly faces and then like the yellow eyes. Mm-hmm. The gigantic wolf does not have yellow eyes. It has blue eyes. So, oh. And so it's obviously... Oh, you're right. It's obviously something other than these other wolves. It only oh. It's only on there for like a tenth of a second, but its eyes are completely different. And so I, I, they have to tell us what the deal with all these animals and Ezra's connection to them is and who that gigantic wolf is and what it represents. Mm-hmm. So once we leave the wolves, we're back to a bunch of, like, smash-cut fights, right? So we have the ghost flying, knocking a TIE fighter out. We have people running on the ground, firing blasters. We have um, Zeb in hand-to-hand combat. We have stormtroopers bursting through a door. Uh, Death troopers. Death troopers, yep. We got some death troopers in there. That's going very fast at this point. It's... Yeah highly confusing it's there's not a lot of context for anything it's just a lot of action then we get to a stained glass picture of the force users the father the son and the daughter and there's a owl sitting on the daughter and it looks like kanan or it looks like ezra is in a stormtrooper disguise again and he's standing in front of this thing and it lights up this is the second most exciting thing to me yeah this is finally you know like he's not for all his uh teasing of floney's finally uh delivering in a big way. Yeah. I want Ezra to go to Mortis. To uh, replace one of the um, the father, daughter, son. Yeah, I think that'd be great. That, that would explain his uh, disappearance. After the Mortis stained glass window, or whatever you want to call that, uh, it sort of smashes the black. It just shows Ezra, uh, Ezra lighting his lightsaber, and there's three loath wolves behind him. Can we back up to the, what's the shot right before that, though? Oh, uh, the hologram of Palpatine. Yeah, who is that? Do you think it's Palpatine? Yeah. I don't know. I would believe that it's Palpatine. But if it's a hologram, then that's not a hallucination. That's not a force vision. That's Palpatine communicating with Ezra. Uh, he says that there's one last lesson, and then ignites his lightsaber, and then there's the, the three loath wolves behind him. Now, I was expecting at this point to see uh, him have uh, yellow eyes because it's very, very ominous, but he didn't. So that's good. I think that's good because that would give too much away in the trailer because I had that thought, too. I was happy that his eyes were the normal color, though. So what do you think? Man, I, I don't know. I'm I, I'm I'm guessing that um, this tying into Mortis, like we were talking about, this is how this is the, the loophole that there are no Jedi left. Is because Kanan, Ezra, and uh, Ahsoka are on Mortis. Because Ahsoka very well may be the sister uh-huh. at this point. Or the you mother. Know, yeah, she could be now the mother. And 
you know, the way they get rid of, uh, get rid of Ezra is that he is, you know, he's the son or the daughter or whichever one is the, you know, the dark side. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the dark side in him. He could be, he could be the dark side balance to a Kanan or an Ahsoka. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they do, but I also wouldn't be surprised if that's not what they do. So Mm -hmm. I'm going, I'm going to temper my expectations and just enjoy whatever they give me and hope I get to see a new Star Wars cartoon in a year. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I'm, I'm guessing that's not going to happen the way we think it's going to happen because they would not just give it to us like this, you know, to where we could pretty much figure it out. He he wants to keep us guessing. So I need what I need from Rebels, and I don't know if I'm going to get it. I'd like a little bit of closure. I want them to unambiguously tell me what's up with um, Ahsoka. I want them to tell me why Kanan and Ezra don't show up in the original trilogy. I want them to give me a reason. Um, That's all I want, right? And then I'm perfectly fine picking up with the other characters, 10, 20 years down the line, and like, like, oh, there's Zeb. Oh, there's Hera. Right, I'm fine with that. Here's Sabine and her. She's now, like, the House of Ren is now the most important Mandalorian house. I'm fine if that's the fiction you want to build. Just tell me a satisfactory answer to those questions. Yeah, I agree. And is Rex in Return of the Jedi because he is wearing Rebel Rebel Commando gear. If he survives if he survives Rebels, I say he's in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, he's it's just too perfect. Yeah. Not a lot of time, so they're we're gonna get a lot of we're not gonna be strung along nearly as much because there's nowhere left to go. Yeah. Well, I think we thoroughly talked about that. Alright, so today we watched the eighth episode of Droids entitled The Revenge of Kaibo Ren. Um, it is the toward the end of the second arc of droids, the second arc being the Tamuzan arc, where, where, where we're following around Jan Tosh and his adventures working for the Tamuzan people. So this episode opens up, and we are on Tamuzan, and there's some sort of banquet happening, and C-3PO and R2-D2 are trying, trying to deliver a cake. Oh, the slapstick. You always, you're always in for good joke when a comical character is carrying a dessert. Yeah. I mean, there's episodes that we'll get to later where this is Jar Jar's shtick, where he has a pile of plates, right? Mm -hmm. While R2 and C-3PO are trying to navigate a cart incompetently that has desserts on it, Kaibo Ren's henchman, Jin Oba, is scaling the building, presumably to get Kaibo Ren, although we don't know this at the time. King Jolpa is in a throne room of sorts, meeting with a man called Lord Toda. He's trying to unite the people to strengthen the planet against external threats, and he's using Kaibo Ren as an example in these negotiations. There is apparently some bad blood here in between these two races of Tamuzan people. He tries using Kaibo Ren as an example of why they should unite, and they throw the example back in his face. Um, so he should have just blamed the immigrants like everybody else does. <laughs> immigrants. I knew it was them. Even when it was the bears, I knew it was them. So the peace talks fall apart and the people are about to start punching when slapstick happens um, to defuse the tense situation. The droids smash into the room, spilling the cake, and everybody starts laughing at them. And this is an in-universe slapstick pratfall moment. And they get into a fight with a cat-like creature named NJ. The creature is actually a tessellated Benjin found. That's how you say it, I think. Okay. And even though they're laughing, it's, it's illustrated through the animation that there's still bad blood in between these two races. Uh, the races are blue and purple. 
Ah, yes. They look almost identical, though, right? Because they have the same kind of weird facial Klingon facial hair. Yes, and we're going to talk about Klingons in a minute, I promise. Oh. Yes, a big, big reveal today. So Jan, our human friend, doesn't trust Lord Tota, but Jopa needs Lord Tota to agree with to the Alliance, for a couple of reasons, as it turns out. Back to Kaiba Ren, he's getting broken out of jail by Jenoba, his big oaf. C-3PO is working on the... R2 spearhead, which I'm just going to call an A-wing, on the loading dock, on the spaceport dock, and he somehow locks R2 and Jan in the cockpit. That wasn't a, a obvious plot device at all. That was a very good plot device because it took two main characters out of the out of the show, and it made it C-3PO's fault, which is the theme for this episode. Is everything can, can be blamed on C-3PO. But you know, not really. But okay, we'll talk about that. So C-3PO who. He can't get them back out, so he goes off to find Jess um, to help. And uh, he runs into Jolpa and the daughter of Lord Toda, and they are on a date. Yep, and it's super awkward, and being a protocol droid without a virginity sensor, uh, (laughs) he just lets it go. He then, leaving Jolpa and Lord Toto's daughter, who's named um, Jiron, he leaves them and he runs immediately into Jinoba and Kaibo as they're escaping, and he does nothing. Uh, so this is setting up that C-3PO is at fault that they escaped. Kaibo and Jinoba make their way to the landing bay, where he blasts Jolpa with a stunner, and Jinoba tries to grab the princess Jiron. C-3PO, realizing what he's done, goes back to confront them and accidentally helps Kaibo kidnap Jaren while incapacitating Jan. Kaibo steals the A-Wing with the princess and leaves Jinoba behind, and all of our main characters are worried about the optics of how it looks that they inadvertently allowed Kaibo Ren to steal Lord Toda's daughter in the middle of a peace negotiation. Does not bode well. The, the tension seems a little... There wasn't that much tension. I sort of disagree. Tor- Toda is played as a complete hothead. Yeah, but the whole that whole situation to me, it just it just felt like they were just dialogue was meant to make it seem like a bigger deal than it. It didn't actually feel like that big of a deal. Okay. Because it seemed like they had legitimate. You know, it wasn't like they just sat around and did nothing. You know, they tried. Yeah, several of them got shot. Mm-hmm. Right, but. Okay, so Lord Toda wants to destroy C-3PO, since he helped get his daughter kidnapped. Jan and Jess decide that they're going to go off and find the princess to demonstrate their willingness to help. And Jopa surrenders himself to Lord Toda until the princess comes back. He really falls on his sword here. And Jopa refers to Princess Jaren as special to him, outing his relationship with the girl. Mm-hmm. Which is good. C-3PO decides to visit the henchman in the brig, the Jenoba, because he was captured. And R2-D2 comes in and pretends to get ready to torture him with all the Swiss Army knife attachment. Using this enhanced interrogation technique, C-3PO begs (laughs) him to tell him where the girl is so R2 won't kill him. Uh, They find out that the girl is on the bog moon of Bogdan. So they they find out that she's on the bog moon of Bogdan, and R2 sprays confetti on him. Then they head off to tell Jan. Meanwhile, on the bog moon of Bogdan, the princess is in a cell, and a monster is guarding her. The animal is called a Sungwa, and it's like a big wolf. Kaburin tells her via a PA system that she'll get eaten if she tries to escape. The Tamazon people negotiate her release by releasing all of Kaibo's men and his ship. Those are his terms. Jopa discourages the exchange because he doesn't trust Kaibo. Jan and Jess show up in A-wings. Meanwhile, the princess attempts to escape 
escape her cell despite the danger of the animals. Jan, Jess, C-3PO, and R2-D2 are now on the ship, and they say that, and R2 tells them that there are two humans on different levels. They split up the find where they are, even though there are no humans on the ship. So I found a plot hole. So the princess is running away from the Sangwas and quickly becomes trapped. She's surrounded by the animals when Jan and C-3PO find her. Jan tries to cross the bridge to help her out, but C-3PO decides to create a distraction by jumping into the pit to help her. This works. The Sangwas turn to attack C-3PO and he runs off, and the princess is saved by Jan. But they follow him. They follow C-3PO to try to catch up to him. Kyberun tells Tamazans that the rescue has failed, and Lord Topa, sorry, Lord Toda blames Jolpa. Kaiborin asks Rajolpa and Lord Toda to turn over Jolpa. Just an R2-D2 show up in Kaibo's cockpit, and he captures them easily and ties them up with vines. Yeah, the vines seem to be like kind of like Audrey 2, sort of like sentient. It is a little like that, and there's there's a strange line where C-3PO says there's two humans, one upstairs, one downstairs, and a bunch of non-humans, and it sort of zooms in on the vine when he says that. And I'm wondering if we're supposed to think that the vine is sentient, but I don't know. So now they're going to turn over the king, King Jolpa, to recover the princess. And so Mon Jolpa is transported to Kaibo Ren. Jess and R2-D2 easily escape the vines. The princess and C-3PO um, are wandering around the ship when Jess starts calling over the speakers. Because Kaibo is now looking for them. As Kaibo closes in on their position, R2-D2 tricks the Sungwas to chase Kaibo instead of them. And then Jess says we should steal Kaibo Ren's ship and escape. Jin Oba shows up with Monjopa and the ship, Kaibo's old ship, and the princess sees Monjopa in shackles, and they all realize that Kaibo Ren does not intend to keep his word, and he's just accumulating more prisoners. After being double-crossed, it is revealed that Lord Toda was hiding in the ship all the time, and then a big battle happens. Kaibo Ren tries to escape, but C-3PO trips him, so he's captured. So the battle ends with Kaibo Ren being captured and Tamazan warriors being victorious. Uh, the treaty is signed after the safe return of his daughter. Jess decides to go back to work at her shipping company, and Jan is headed off to a space academy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I was tempted to watch all of the other episodes to see if that had ever come up before, but I ended up going down a completely different rabbit hole this time. Matt, and instead of recording the next episode, I'm going to go to my interpretive cooking class that I've always dreamt of going to. Yeah, everybody knows that about Jamie. He's always wanted to be an avant-garde chef. Everyone says goodbye, and the episode ends with some C-3PO foppish exaggeration about his role in the battle. And the best luck of all is good friends. And that's the end of the episode. So, did you like it? Um, I think I liked the previous one better. This one was just so ridiculous, and the part that we were just making fun of, the, well, I'm going to go back to my freighting company, and I'm going to the Space Academy. <laughs> uh, this is the first time that you're ever mentioning it. Are you planning on wearing a different shirt? You know, he's still rocking the John Rambo look, and he's got the, you know, the ripped shirt, and he's got the Han Solo-type uh, blaster holster. I, just everything about this just seemed over-the-top and, and silly and stupid, even for... A cartoon. Yeah, I I generally agree. I think the last one was far better than this one. There was still there's still an effort to make everything count, and there was actual acting in this episode. Like when after C-3PO spills the cake, Monjopa puts his hand on Lord Toda's shoulder, and Lord Toda shoots in this look like, "Don't fucking touch me." <laughs> Don't touch. 
and he sort of like shrugs his shoulders and takes his hand off his shoulder, you know. And so there's there's some subtlety in there, and there's some choices people are making, and I think it's I think it's interesting. I've got a couple production notes that I'd like to go over. Okay. First of all, I mentioned it in the in the wrap up or in the plot summary. There, C-3PO says that R2 told him there were two humans on board, one upstairs, one downstairs. The one upstairs is Kaibo Ren, and the one downstairs is Jiron. Jiron is a Tamazon, not a human, and Kaibo Ren is also not a human. He's a Rapagu, and I looked it up. Rapagu is a near-human sentient species, um, and they're in the Old Republic. So the Old Republic drew from this data set and made a near-human species that they included in the game. I don't know where in the game. So that's a, that's a pretty glaring error in my book. I hate to be like a continuity asshole, but give me a break. I mean, what are we to believe that this is some sort of uh, <laughs> a magic xylophone or something? Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. So Ky- Kaibo Rin's ship is called the Dianoga. There's something alive in here. I think I'm just going to become a Dianoga fan because I've brought it up multiple times in the podcast already. I've pointed out Dianogas in the background. I've, I've talked about Dianogas. Um, when I was, we were talking about from a certain point of view, and now the ship is called the Dianoga. So I'm just a Dianoga fan. I'm going to point them out every time I see them. Well, okay then. This is the first mention of Bogdan, and I looked it up. Just because Bogdan is where Jango Fett says he was recruited by Lord Tyrannus. I was recruited by a man called Tyrannus on one of the moons of Bogdan. Hmm. He says it's on Bogdan, and so I followed that thread back. But I know exactly what you're thinking, because I went back and I listened to the second episode recording to see what that was called. And it wasn't Bogdan, but it was something very similar. Here's my other big reveal. The crashed ship on Bogdan is a Klingon bird of prey. Klingon bird of prey, she's arming torpedoes. Wait, what? Intentionally, it's a Klingon bird of prey. At this time, Star Wars had stopped making movies, and Star Trek had started making movies. There was that overlap in the first few years where where that quote-unquote rivalry started. This came out right around the time of um, Star Trek IV, where they take the bird of prey back in time to save the whales. Mm-hmm. This episode came out a few months after that. They modeled the ship that was crashed in the swamp on a bird of prey. That's that's nuts. Yeah. Have you ever visited a, a uh, Star Wars versus Star Trek site? No. Do no. those really exist? Uh, it did way back when. I haven't really looked in a long time, but it was quite humorous the the back and forth. I want to come on. I want to go on record as I'm a fan of both. I watched all of Star Trek. Yeah, no, me too. I, I I like I like Star Trek a lot, and I like Star Wars just a little bit better. I do like Star Wars more. I'm, I don't have a Star Trek podcast. I have a Star Wars podcast, but I do discuss Star Trek with the nerds at work probably as much as I do Star Wars. I do work with more Trekkies than Star Wars people, though. I think I'm pretty much the the nerdiest one in my group. One of my teammates made some sort of joke, and I made a Terminator joke. And he's like, "That that's from Terminator, right?" And part of me is just dying inside, but part of me realizes that oh, it's age difference. And also, I'm a huge, huge nerd. Yeah, I've run into that recently with making Blade Runner jokes because I thought you could do that because Blade Runner whatever just came out 2049 or whatever they called it yeah and I thought oh cool we can talk about Blade Runner no people went to go see the new one and didn't see the old one which I don't understand but whatever did you like the new one I haven't seen it yet oh see I'm that kind of I'm that kind of asshole I don't get out to the movies I will see it when I can watch it on streaming well you have kids it's hard to get out to see movies when you have kids 
I have a couple more notes, and then something I we absolutely have to talk about the Space Academy nonsense. So when Jin Oba breaks Kaibo Ren out of jail, he calls him Kibo. He yeah. speaks in sort of this weird sing-songy like toddler language, but he clearly says Kibo Ren. Mm-hmm. And then he says, "Ah, oh, Jin or er, er, Jin Oba, my loyal servant, or whatever he says." Mm-hmm. And this is this is very Star Warsy to me because there's all sorts of alternative pronunciations of people's names leia leah han han and so on and then there are the two races that tamazon people purple skinned and blue skinned and their races are based on geography and their motivation to dislike each other is racist in nature so. Oh, summer <laughs> first race war huh so i was really taken aback by that throwaway line that just tosses out saying that he wanted to go to Space Academy. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, when I heard that, I don't know why it stuck in my mind like a splinter. I had to figure out where it came from and what it's from. And so I started just doing research on Jantosh, which isn't easy to do, right? He had an action figure, which we'll talk about the action figures at some point. And there was a brief biography on the card back of the action figure that didn't mention Space Academy. And then I was reading the Wikipedia page, and it had this horrible backstory for him. And so I wanted to read the first sentence or two of his biography section on the Wikipedia. Okay. If you haven't, you haven't read it, right? No. When Jan Tosh was 16 years old, his mother, Plina Tosh, his father, Gar Tosh, and his twin younger brothers, Gessel and Triff, were all killed in a tragic skimmer accident on his homeworld of Naboo. With no other living family, he came to live with his father's best friend, Putch Gundarian, a planet-hopping treasure hunter who operated a Keshel mining operation on Tyne Horky. That's his backstory. And when I read the backstory, I became obsessed. I was like, where the hell did this backstory come from? It mentions Naboo, right? Mm -hmm. As far as I can tell, the backstory is cobbled together through multiple sources and filled in by the old Star Wars continuity group when they were trying to make everything merge. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I asked you about this, the Spanish comics before we got before, before we started recording is because one of those Spanish comics Jan Tosh is in. And if you keep reading, if you go to StarWars.com to the droids reanimated blog posts where they talk about the droid source material. It's not very good reading, but if you're making a podcast about droids, it's one of the good sources you can go to, since Clive mm-hmm. Smith won't return my phone calls. There is a one of those two-page comics that are translated from Spanish into English, produced in an unauthorized way, according to Lucasfilm Unauthorized, um, back in the 80s. One of them is Jan Tosh, where he goes to meet a friend of his called Professor Smith, and he's on a satellite called the Rune Satellite, the Rune Communication Satellite. That's where it's revealed, in that comic, it's revealed that Professor Smith was a friend of Jan's father, who died. And this is the, like, grain of sand in the middle of this pearl of a story. Okay. And so this is what I spent my evening the other night doing, is reading about... Professor Ackery Smith, a kindly academic who had known Jartosh since childhood. So it was, he was a childhood friend of Jan Tosh's father, who often checked on the youth from his rune communication satellite. And so it was his interactions with Akari Smith, Professor Smith, that got Jan interested in joining the Space Academy on Raythal. Huh. Uh, hmm. So you see, Jamie, it makes perfect sense. Yes. I just have to say, it's a good thing you're already married. <laughs> because. What do you mean? That's maybe like third or fourth date. 
minimum something you bring up. Yeah. By the way, I researched, you know, these uh, fictional characters from this 80s cartoon piecing together these or these comics that were written in Spanish. You can't make me feel bad about this, so no, might as well I will stop. No, there's plenty of things I go batshit about that uh, you're just you're you're braver than I. I'll say that. I pitched this podcast to give me an excuse to do this. You're right. Okay. <laughs> you're right. You're right. So I'm I'm 100% on board with him going to the Space Academy, by the way. Yes. On Rythal. Born on Rythal is the best. Yeah, as as long as he has a uh, a wacky roommate that makes all sorts of sound effects. Yeah, of course. That's what it has to be. Do you have anything else? I think we've pretty much talked about it. Like, Jan Tasha's end just seemed like Poochie. Like, I just... I, Surprised they just he, they just didn't take him out of the picture, you know, like they did in Simpsons with Poochie. Well, so this isn't his last episode. Oh, it's not. No, so he has this Tamuzan arc has five episodes to it, not four. And so we have got one more where Jan and uh, Princess, the princess's little brother, get stranded on a planet. Oh, joys! A, a little kid, a little kid episode of a little kid show yep. should be awesome. <laughs> So, in the interest of speeding things along, how would you rank this using our ranking system of Star Wars characters with an awesome episode being a Han Solo or a Darth Vader and a crappy episode being, I don't know, a Greta? Um, can I pick the mite, the flea that lives on Salacious Crumb's fur for this one? Okay. Uh, that's, that's too harsh. Um, I'll pick the elephant man. Chava's head of security because he gets he gets screen time in a movie, but you have to be a pretty big nerd to care. Okay, yeah, I will go with. Oh man, that flea is a good one. But I think I think I will go with the robot waitress from Attack of the Clones. Could be better, as the old saying goes. It is what it is. When you yeah. can't think of anything better to say about something, definitely is what it is. I don't know. It's. It's not the worst episode, but it's problematic. Yeah. Also, they completely wasted Jess in this episode. Yeah, she and R two just run straight into a force field. You know, they could have shot. They could have shot Kaibo Ren. You know, R two D two could have got. You know, they could have escaped right away, and he could have landed right on top of Kaibo Ren and pretty much ended it right there. But hey, whatever. You know, I was just a kid at the time. They never asked me to write for uh, droids. You know. Yeah. This is the end of Kaibo Ren, though. I'm pretty sure we don't see him again. Oh darn. Until he's reincarnated into Kylo Ren. All right. So in our next episode, we're going to be talking uh, about is Kobe and the Star Hunters. Best title ever. Kobe and the, the droids get stranded on a planet and they have to get themselves off. Sounds like a blast. Going to be a good one. Actually, I don't really like this episode. It's got some It's got some interesting aliens in it, though. Well, there's always that, I guess. Yeah. We're almost done with our Tamazan arc, and then we've got the Runestone arc, and then we're done with droids. And the Runestone arc is going to be different, but we can talk about that next week. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening and sticking with us. Uh, this is a new adventure for us, and we're not professional editors, so we appreciate all of our listeners. And until next time, I'm Jamie. And I'm Matt. Talk to you later. Yum nub. Eat out the yum nub. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yub Nub as our intro and outro music. Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. 
Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewok, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of side effects or to complain about the show, please visit us on Twitter at Yubcast or drop us an email at noochvaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We will see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.